must have been nine or ten when I was returned. I had no memory. I was placed with a family who raised me as a daughter. Who were they? I knew they weren't my parents, but I didn't remember mom or dad. Who are you? But you came to remember. I'm in danger, Fox. You've been contacted. You know there's a man hunting my father and the other doctors. My adoptive parents. A bounty hunter's been sent to kill them. You've met this man. His lies to you have caused others like my father to die. He won't stop until he's killed them all. And anyone who tries to stop him, he'll come for me soon. Discovering the X-Files, the podcast in which a newbie takes a deep dive into the entirety of Chris Carter's universe while longtime fans escort me on the journey, a perilous journey filled with government conspiracies or weird monsters every other week. I'm Eric's Antoine, and today Daniel and I will be discussing a two-part story extending over the episodes Colony and Endgame which originally aired on February 10th and 17th, 1995. Colony was written by Chris Carter from a story he concocted with David Duchovny and directed by Nick Mark. Endgame was written by Frank Spotnitz and directed by Rob Bowman. In this two-parter, Samantha Mulder returns. But is it her? Or is she merely a ruse? meant to draw Fox Mulder into a web of intrigue. In any case, Mulder dives headfirst into the adventure, as of course he would. It's his sister, after all. He and Scully uncover human clones working on a top-secret project through various abortion clinics, and Mulder eventually winds up facing off against an alien hybrid Superman on board an abandoned submarine in the middle of the Antarctic. Man. There's a lot going on in this very exciting mythology episode, and in a moment, Daniel and I are going to talk all about it. Stick around. So, this, this, was, uh, this was phenomenal. I'll, I'll say that up front. This was fucking phenomenal. I really... Uh, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed that a great deal. So I'm going to just uh, just say that at the top, and then you know go into details that I enjoyed about it, which there are plenty, plenty of things to unpack. The, there's a lot going on in this episode. So much uh, to <laughs> going on in this episode. So the first thing, obviously, is that I can imagine that this must have been a huge deal uh, oh, yeah. back then. It was. I mean, this is a, as as event television as it gets, I would think, for anybody who would be a fan of the show. This is a big deal. I mean, I, I think that it's kind of rare to see, uh, at least back then, to have such a huge sort of thing like that happen about halfway through the second season of a show. Mm-hmm. You know, but this is like a, this, like a major, major... Uh, major story events, you know, and that are potentially show-altering in, in big ways, right? And so that's, I'm, I was just curious, I mean, what, what, um, what, why don't you start off on this one? Because I'm, I'm pretty sure this was a big one uh, back then uh, and must be one of your favorites even now. It was and it is. I didn't look at the air dates, so I can't remember if these were in consecutive weeks or if there was a longer gap. I think I think it was still running on Friday nights at this point. So some sometimes, you know, this is what are we are we ninety four or are we ninety five at this point? We're we're early ninety five. We're early ninety five. Okay. So early ninety five, I'd have been eleven. I think it's still airing on Friday nights. Sometimes we'd go out and do stuff. My dad would set the VCR to record the episodes if we weren't going to be home. And I'm pretty sure Colony was recorded, and I watched it, but I 
distinctly recall pitching a fit and making sure we were actually home for me to watch the second episode as it aired so I wouldn't have to wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a hell of a cliffhanger, right, for, for, for it to yeah. go into one, like, from one to the other. But, uh, I mean, I, I guess they must have also hyped the episode. Probably. Because the, the reveal of his sister... Uh, which happens towards the end of the first part, of the you know, mm-hmm. towards the end of Colony. The reveal of, uh, of Samantha, I, I'm, what I'm curious about is, did people know going in that that was going to happen? Or was that like a big, whoa, like a, like a huge shocking moment? You know, like that, that's what I wonder. If, if the creators of the show intended it to be a... a a, a huge shock, like a huge twist kind of moment, or if it was the sort of thing where, oh, this is, we're going to meet her, his sister. He's going to find his sister in this episode. Like, if that was part of the hype building up to it. I wonder about that. Just going strictly off of memory, since I haven't gone back and watched the promos or anything for it, I don't remember that being a part of the marketing. I remember it being a surprise for me. I remember knowing going in that... It was back to the alien conspiracy for an episode or two. And, you know, you had the shape-shifting alien bounty hunter. And that's all I remember knowing going in. But, yeah, I, I I don't remember them hyping the sister aspect. I'm pretty sure, at least for me, it was a surprise. Yeah, I mean, I think it works better if it's a surprise, obviously. Mm-hmm. It's just that these days, because the internet was already around. You know, it was in its mm-hmm. early days, but it was there. It, it, it was it was around already, and I'm sure there were, uh, like the X Files coincided basically with the early days of the internet. So yeah. there were already like message boards, user groups, whatever, and I'm sure people were already speculating. So that's like I'm wondering, because Probably. that's the way it is now. You know, now you, you go on message, people find out these things because they find oh, yeah. out these right things away. And, right away. You know, uh, and so. You know, back back uh, before that, it was on the pages of, in the pages of Starlog magazine or whatever, where you would find out some big thing about an upcoming show or movie. And mm-hmm. so I can imagine that there were insiders, you know, people who were really looking into all into the rumor mill. And I'm pretty sure that it was the talk of internet message boards, like uh, for certain hardcore fans. They probably were like, "Yeah, this is the one where, like, you know." <laughs> Even the series itself has kind of commented on that because you had that one episode, I can't remember which one it was, where the lone gunmen invite Mulder to uh, come over and watch Earth 2 with them so they can then get online afterward and pick apart the scientific inaccuracies of it on the message boards. So <laughs> they're, even yeah. they were aware of what was going on at the time in geek culture. Yeah, no, and speaking of which, in this uh, in this episode, they make a big point of referencing the internet. You know, email. I think the word email yeah. is actually uttered. It's like, uh, did you get an email? Did you check your email, Mulder? And it's like, email. And then, like, the, they got, like, there's, like, that scanned photograph, which must have taken hours, hours to oh, upload. God. That low-res, probably, um, you know, low-res photograph that must have taken forever to upload and then send. It probably took forever to just scan it in the first place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's uh, and you know when like they click on it and it sort of downloads and you see it sort of yeah. come together and and yeah, I got some really like PTSD flashbacks just of like re- like remembering back in the day, <laughs> like just I was like, oh yeah, that's kind of how it was. That was really bad. That was uh, so that that was uh, that was quite something. Uh, yeah, you you brought up the the alien bounty hunter. Which He's portrayed by Brian Thompson, who is a mm-hmm. he is a veteran. He is a genre stalwart. He is a veteran of of terrific shows and movies, and uh, we we remember him, of course, from Cobra, and we remember him from uh, he was on several episodes of, or at least a couple of TNG, playing Klingons, and mm-hmm. and also on I think on Enterprise, and a, you know a couple several Star Trek episodes featured Brian Thompson because he's got that great that great build great face that he has where they very clearly were sort of going for a, they clearly wanted to evoke the Terminator. You know, oh, they, yeah. they wanted to evoke Schwarzenegger and the Terminator, this sort of kind of unstoppable, very professional, efficient killing machine. Who's just sort of stalking his prey and getting it done. And Even the music 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, a little, music, like, the music goes a little Brad Fidel there for a little bit, which is funny because Brian Thompson's one of the punks at the start of the first Terminator. That is right. Yeah, he, he is. He's one of the... I think he's the one that gets killed. I think you're right, yeah. I think he's the one that, like, whatever, that uh, that Schwarzenegger... Fists to death. Yeah, fists to death. Exactly. That's the thing. Um, I Because Bill Paxton's there, but Bill Paxton doesn't get killed. He just gets sort of shoved right. aside. And the other guy comes with the knife, and I think that's Brian Thompson, and then, boom, um, he's gone. And so, yeah, that's uh, he's great, and he's an alien bounty hunter. And it it occurs to me, I mean, you've got, this is an episode that deals with, uh, you know, alien bounty hunters and FBI, and it's kind of like a cerebral uh, Christopher Nolan variation on I Come in Peace. You know, you've, yeah, you've got, like, the, like it's, it, it, it gives me that sort of vibe. It's got the, I was like, wow, this is like I'm watching I Come in Peace. Uh, but that's terrific. That that really is terrific. And Brian Thompson, he is a shapeshifter, as you as you pointed out. And I thought that was pretty interesting because it's not revealed right away that he's a shapeshifter. He just sort of you later find out that he can basically assume any form. And uh, they've got some cool like early '90s morphing effects there. You know, I was yeah. uh, just uh, it's black, it's white. It's W, it's V, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, was, <laughs> like I was immediately just thinking that when I was seeing the scene where he kind of morphs. Uh, he morphs into, I mean, I don't know who this actor is, but he looks like Robert Stack. Like when, when they, yeah. when that CIA agent, uh, Ambrose, Ambrose, right? That was the name of the character. Ambrose Chapel, which is a very pulpy name. Ambrose Chapel, yes, very pulpy, very much. Uh, and yeah, as like I said, he looks like he looks like Robert Stack, and that's an interesting. Uh, detail how there's like a sinister quality to this guy like immediately tom butler he's a canadian character actor he popped up in a lot of genre shows at the time and they also played the somewhat sinister um father of the lead female character in freddy versus jason the one that had the old boyfriend locked up in the institution that's how I recognize them, of course. Besides yeah. the fact that he reminds me of Robert Stack, at least yeah. the way he looks in this episode because of the trench coat and everything. But he looked familiar, and I was like, where did I see this guy? And you're right, he's in Freddy vs. Jason. That is absolutely correct, yes. And you've got the the Gregor clones. Gregor, right? That's yes. the name? Yeah. Like the, they're all clones of some, I guess, some Russian uh, named Gregor, I think, if, if I got that... Yeah. Right, right, and but they they're stationed in the U.S., and so that character actor was basically hired to die multiple times. Like that was yes. essentially that's uh, yeah. You get to be on the show. You get to have several, you know, painful death scenes. That'll be a fun thing to do. I, I take it because he's got the the Vulcan blood. He's got the toxic green blood that we saw in the Erlenmeyer flask. You know that first one that gets killed at the abortion clinic. And then where, you know, Brian Thompson just sort of rips the panel off the wall of the, the circuitry. And then it just, everything just goes up in flames. And I go, I guess, I guess the blood is an accelerant. I don't know, but that was some really bad wiring if ripping the panel off would set the whole Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. That was, was not like, up to code. Yeah, because I like it. They, all he does is rip the panel off and then boom, you got this kind of cheesy CGI thing put there. But then the rest of it seems to be real fire. And then like it. It looks really good, but I but I was uh, I was wondering about that. But now here's the thing about the Gregor clones. Okay, so early on you see this guy get killed. You don't know what's going on, and then you know that we find out that several other ones have been two other ones have been killed. Two other identical people have been killed in these other places, and uh, I, I think they were also abortion clinics. Yeah, where, or where the other two have been killed. Clinics. Yeah. yeah, something like that, and that's why they think it might be the work of. Uh, like a protest, like anti-abortion, you know, uh, mm-hmm. some nut going around doing that. And so you got the three photographs, identical people. And, you know, I mean, I knew, I knew immediately it was a clone right away. I knew that these were, the, they're obviously clones. And I know that because I watched the X-Files. And so yeah. <laughs> how does it take Mulder? How does it take Mulder so long to figure it out? Because it's like, I mean, Scully, of course, will immediately be like, Triplets. Oh, are they, are they triplets? You know, like that, that's obviously her first, her go-to thing, because it's Scully. But why doesn't Mulder immediately go, 
well, no, obviously they must be clones. I mean, I doesn't doesn't Mulder watch the X Files? The, the <laughs> like, like we've, we've been down this road. That would be the I think the first thing that anybody would think. But that's an interesting concept that they're clones. I mean, they're clones of a subject that was abducted. Am I am I getting this right? And then they were fused with alien DNA. Yeah. So, so they're they not could... entirely human. Yeah. Right. And, right. It, like. And we get that big window jump where he just yes. smacks into the pavement and then gets up, turns his head back around the right way and takes off running, which is yep. great. It looks great. Yeah. That is a great thing. Like when they walk into the apartment and then he sees Robert Stack standing there behind like Mullen and Scully, just like total, like completely loses his shit and just like bolts for the window. I was laughing my ass off. That was a great stunt, first of all. Great stunt. Oh, yeah. like, like going out the window and then he lands and he, he pulls a Michael Myers, basically, because, you know, Mulder goes up to the window to see what's going on, gets up and walks away. Scully, at this point, Scully, it's like, come on, man. Like, now you have, pl <laughs> you have plenty of evidence. Like, how are, how are you going to explain that one? Like, is it is it physically possible for a normal human being to, like, leap out of a window? How many stories up is that? Like, five or six stories at, at least? At least, yeah. Yeah, and then land on his face and just get up and walk away. <laughs> like, I don't, you know, clearly there's something up there. So that was that was pretty cool. That was really um, fun. A lot of fun. Just, like, a lot, a lot of fun, cool, uh, exciting moments. The pace, it's just like, you know, it's one thing after another. So after a while, you you sort of get lost, but it's like really breathless. And then we, we get some nice character work from, what's the actor's name? Peter Donat. Mm -hmm. uh, he plays Mulder's dad. I think his name is William Mulder. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or maybe because Scully's father is also named William. So maybe I'm getting him confused. No. Are they, yeah. are they both named Bill? Like that's... Yeah, they are. <laughs> okay, well, that's... All right, that was um, Bill, that was and his mom's name is Tina. Okay, all right. Well, and uh, Scully's mom's not named Tina, is she? Because like that would be no, I don't think so. Yeah. Martha. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's like like why did you say that name? Um, no, but a nice character work from uh, Peter Donat as uh, Mulder's dad, and there's an interesting little detail here. Uh, they have an odd relationship because they they shake hands. Which, which I found, you know, at first I found a bit odd, something notable that that's how he greet, you know, they shake hands, Mulder and his dad shake hands. And yet, upon reflection, that's sort of exactly the relationship um, that Mulder would have with his parents. You know, like that, that's, it sort of seems like you kind of, you, you kind of expect them to, to call them Mr. and Mrs. Mulder. You know, I, I, there's, there's a weird disconnect. It's just weird to me. I like, I don't, you know, when you contrast Scully's relationship with her dad, which we know was, um, had problems on a certain level, but there was a deeper connection. There was affection shown, mm -hmm. you know, you see them embracing and you, you know, you, there's a, you get that, but Mulder and his parents, that's, that's just weird to me. It's weird. I don't know if is this an issue? Is this something that's that that is later explored more? Yeah. Um, you can tell he has a warmer relationship with his mother from the one scene that he has with her when she's sitting in her bed. But the other interesting nugget that's dropped there is when he gets the initial phone call, he I think he initially picks it up and says, Mom. And then he goes, Dad, why are mm -hmm. you at mom's? So they're separated. Okay. So something, yeah, that's, something happened yeah. there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that that just further complicates it even more. Like everyone's just kind of estranged. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There is that too, and you get the sense that when Mulder has lost Samantha again, and then there's that scene, uh, you know, when he has to tell his dad that. Yeah. And then his dad is just like, "Do you understand? Do you realize what this is going to do to your mother and whatever?" And you get the sense that Mulder's obsession with his sister's disappearance is obviously something that his parents were privy to, or certainly his father was. And I think that over the years, it must have been a source of tension for them. Mm -hmm. That's the impression that I would get there. It must, because 
obviously he believed that his sister was abducted by aliens or something like that, which is something that I'm sure his parents did not believe. Yeah, his his dad makes a comment before he tells him what happened that um, something along the lines of uh, you think you can come to terms with the fact that it's not going to change. Basically implying that he clearly thought she was dead and never coming back. Mm-hmm. And he had made peace with that. And then now he's outside chain smoking because she's effectively sitting in the living room talking to the mother. So my guess is. And, and this isn't going off of memory because I don't quite remember all the details of how they tackle this particular aspect of the disappearance. But the assumption is that dad gave up. Fox did not, and then maybe Mom just... She seems like the type that would have just stopped talking about it and not wanting to acknowledge it one way or another. Right, yeah. And since this happened on on Mulder's watch, this happened on Fox's watch, there's a part maybe that... Just like Mulder, I'm sure, feels guilty about the fact that he wasn't able to you know, protect his sister, but on some level his father is probably like you know we left you to take care of her and you lost her you should have been looking out for her there's a part of him that that i'm sure always sort of blamed him for it on a certain level or at least resented him for it and an event like this uh, the disappearance of a child the death of a child creates strain on any marriage so clearly this was a huge event. Uh, and as you mentioned, the, the Mulders, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Mulder, are, you know, they are estranged. And uh, probably this began to happen around that same time, around the time that the sister disappeared. At least it's an assumption that we can make. Yeah, or not long after. Yeah, yeah or, or not long after. And, and, and probably, yeah, their version of it, that what they probably assumed was that Someone broke into the house and took her or she stepped out or whatever. But the point is they they probably believe that she was taken by another human being and presumably killed, you know, and so that that's what they have been. That's the story that they eventually had to accept and tell themselves. And now here she shows up again. And it's a big it's a big deal, you know, that she shows up again. Uh I thought it was an interesting thing where, uh, you know, the next morning when she's sitting out in the, on the deck there and then, you know, Mulder goes out and she remembers, she, she brings up the game of Stratego that they were playing the night that mm-hmm. she disappeared. And I thought that was an interesting detail because in the flashback scene, which I believe is in Little Green Men, in that flashback scene, they make a point of showing that they're playing Stratego and like that made an impression on me because I remember playing that game when I was a kid. Right, right. And so I now that tells me that that was a deliberate thing. Because, I mean, Chris Carter probably specifically wanted it to be Stratego. You know, for whatever reason, chose Stratego. Not Monopoly, not, you know, Connect Four, not Operation, not, 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 not any, you know, <laughs> like, specifically Stratego. So I guess uh, Chris Carter must have liked Stratego growing up. Yeah, with, without going into any detail, uh, the show will eventually cover um, more in regards to the disappearance and the reasons for it from multiple angles and the fallout from it as well. Like we'll, we'll get to that stuff as it goes on. I, I don't doubt that. I, I would imagine so. Cause they, they, I mean, this has been unresolved now, so we're going to keep coming back to it. I'm sure. Um, it's an interesting detail that, it turns out not to actually be Samantha. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into that um, in a minute. Um, uh, the one thing I wanted to also point out, it's in the, the first half, and I think this is during Colony. There's this one element where, like, Mulder and Scully keep missing each other. Yeah, like, phone tag. <laughs> yeah, they're playing phone tag, basically. And there, there's, there's an aspect to that that's almost farcical. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know that's almost farcical. Cause like the the ultimate punchline for me was when she basically she leaves her cell phone in her fanny pack. Yeah, 
And and I just I remember thinking to myself, well, you know, yeah, I guess this is 1995. Because uh, if, if it were a smartphone, she probably would have taken it into the can with her. If, uh, if only it had been a smartphone. But uh, that was funny to me. And so that is almost farcical, like the fact they keep missing each other. Of course, on another level, they're building suspense because yeah, to that moment builds, in the hotel yeah. room. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When, when he finally gets her on the phone and he's also standing in the doorway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's a great that, that's, that's just a great way to end the episode because that's just a hell of a hook. You know, I mean, I was watching it as one sort of long chunk, but uh, but that, that's a hell of a hook. There are there's so much going on in this episode, like it, it's full of fan favorite things, I would think things that uh, just as I am becoming a fan, things that that I've um, that I've come to appreciate about the series. And this is chock full of it. So like there's you've got two great bits with Skinner. Oh, yeah. like, the, 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 I mean, you know, he's always great. But my my point is that I love his exasperation uh, when he's basically ambushed at Mulder's apartment. You know, like just because you know you're just walking in to sort of see what's going on, just get information so or whatever. Just and, checking on him. Yeah, he's just checking in because it's like, yeah, you haven't called. And I'm like, I'm like, what's going on? And you know, you got uh, you got Samantha coming up behind him with like the ice pick and all that stuff, and then you're going like, and just the way he goes like, what the hell is going on here? Like just like his his reaction is uh, is. Uh... While we're sitting in the dark like James Bond with a light off and a gun in his hand. Yeah. But I do remember that there's that there is that one bit, right, where after they've lost Samantha, like the, during the whole exchange thing, and you know, um Brian Thompson and Samantha have gone into the water and then there's that whole mess going on. And then uh, you know, Baldur doesn't even bother trying to explain it to Scully anymore at that point. He's just like, So who was that? He was an alien bounty hunter, and it's like steps away or whatever. It's like she says something to the to the extent of, um, "How are you going to explain this to Skinner?" And he's like, "That's the easy part. The hard thing is going to be telling my father." Yeah, telling Skinner. Yeah, so uh, he's an alien bounty hunter, and you know that was my sister, and now they're both in the water. And like, he he knows he'll be able to tell this to Skinner with a straight face, <laughs> and Skinner and Skinner will sit there and be like, "Okay," and then like he'll just like he'll take it all in and believe it. And uh, it's just that that's really funny to me, like the, that the concept of what Skinner represents, that Skinner is not really an antagonistic force to what the X-Files yeah. is. I think he even says that at one point, right? When because they, they have that scene where he's talking to him in the, in the office. Yeah, because he's, he's chewing him out because like because that agent died in the field. Right. And so he's basically telling him, you know, you guys fucked up. This this agent ended up dead. And now like now my superiors are up my ass and like whatever. And he uses the word "but" because you know this is still. Uh, I guess he couldn't say "ass," but he he says something to that to the effect of "but come on, you you know like you of all people should understand that this is how how an X file works or whatever." And he's like, "It doesn't matter because my superiors are still going to chew me out or like whatever else." So that, that yeah. that's a cool like scene. With as much as there is going on in these two episodes, there's a lot of character work with Skinner on display. You know, you have him reaming Mulder about the agent being died. You know, I want your account of everything on my desk tomorrow morning. Mulder clearly shows up to his meeting late with, I don't I don't even know if he actually had a report in the file that he was about to hand him. <laughs> yeah. But Skinner's like, no, 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 don't worry about that. Your father called, something's wrong at home, you need to go take care of that. Like, right. we'll worry about your report later, it's not important, go take care of your family. That is a great uh, bit because it shows, again, he is an ally. He's truly an ally. And any time that he ever gets on Mulder's case, he, it's because he has a damn good reason for it. Yep. You know, it's because they fucked up. They did something in the, you know, they fucked up one way or another on the case. And so he's very justified. He's not trying to be a bureaucrat who's going to fuck up whatever Mulder's investigation is. He just wants to make sure that they're following procedure, they're doing things properly, and they're not fucking it up for the bureau or for him or for anyone, right? So that's uh, that's a good detail. The fact that he's like, yeah, never mind about that. You know, go check on your family. There's something going on, which, as far as he knows, it's just a personal matter that has nothing to do with anything. But he puts Mulder's personal life and his, you know, anything that could potentially be an issue that would be a personal one. He still puts that ahead of anything else, and that shows. 
um, a, a level of compassion that is pretty cool yeah. for the character to have. And I do, and, I do uh, really like that. Him coming to the apartment is what is when we next see him again. So literally, he's he knows something is wrong, and he shows up to check on him. Like yeah. that's literally why he's there. He's just being nice. Yeah. And then he gets an ice pick and a gun pointed at him. Right, right, for his trouble. And that's a, that's the thing. He's like, Jesus. Like, you know, um, <laughs> it gets pretty crazy. And later on, you know, Scully goes to him for help. And mm-hmm. he turns her away. He's like, I can't help you. But there is that bit. Like, once she leaves his office, yeah. they focus on him where you know that he's going like, yeah, I, you know, I'm going to have to help her. Fuck. Yeah, he throws the pin on his on his desk <laughs> in frustration. Right. You know, I'm just gonna. I can't just let it go, and that leads to the other great bit, which is his his amazing his amazing fist fight with X uh, <laughs> at the elevator. And I love that. That like that got a huge laugh out of me because like the he has that fist fight with X in the elevator. He's got him at gunpoint, um, and you know X has that great line. Was like I've killed men for much less or whatever it is. Right? Yes. <laughs> And so, like that whole thing, right? He, they're they're in the elevator, and and then cut to, like Skinner all banged up at the door, giving uh, Scully, you know, like like, like well, Mulder chartered a flight to Alaska, whatever it is that he says to her, and that just got a huge laugh out of me because the fact that the what Skinner is putting himself through to help these people, yes. you know what I mean, <laughs> like. He is risking death, literally, at the hands of X, and he gets the shit kicked out of him. You know, he, he gives as good as he gets, but still, I mean, it's it's a tough uh, situation there. So that, that that I thought that was great. I thought that it's was great. funny because it also that scene also makes good on the fact of how imposing Skinner looks. Like Mitch Pileggi is built like a tank in this. Yeah, show. He's, a, he's a huge guy. Yeah, no, he, like, he really is, and here you see it. Because you know, yeah. um, he's he towers over Stephen Williams um, in a certain sense, right? Of course, you know Stephen Williams uh, has a certain ruggedness to him, so you know you also yeah. feel that he's a guy who can take care of himself, and so it's fine. And you know, we we've seen him, we've seen him as a guy who can take care of himself, and with missing in action, I think he, I think he's in missing in action two or three or one of those. But that's like uh, th- that's uh, that's pretty intense, and yes, X has some great bits too. I, like I love that. When he goes to meet Mulder, I love that exchange. Where it's like, "How was the opera?" And he's just like, "Wonderful. I've never slept better," or something like that. Yes. Like, that was a great. That was a great <laughs> time. And uh, yeah. yeah, but uh, an X once again doing what he always does, which is basically telling Mulder he's basically the opposite. Like he he serves a similar function to Deep Throat in that he has to provide exposition, and he's there. So, but in terms of his store, like his actual function the way he works with Mulder, he never, like, he he rarely helps. You know, he, he's always there to tell Mulder, walk away from this, walk away from this, walk away from this. And this is once again one of those times. Rather than egging him on or encouraging him, uh, as Deep Throat used to, he's basically always there to discourage him. He gives him some info sometimes, but more often than not, it seems to me that he's always showing up to sort of dissuade him from pursuing something. Which never works. Well, of course it never works. It only, it only emboldens Mulder to just pursue it further. But I just think it's, in, and it's an interesting dynamic that they did that, where it wasn't just, let's replace Deep Throat. They gave him a character that is not exactly the same. He's, he's not exactly the same as Deep Throat. And I think that that's, that's interesting to me. Because they could have just said, okay, he's just Deep Throat. Just another guy, but he's ba- he basically functions exactly the same way as Deep Throat. But no, he's got other layers to him. He's got other other shades to him, which make him interesting. Apparently, Duchovny contributed to the story, at least in the first part. Because the, the, the first part of it, Colony, um, has a story by David Duchovny credit. Chris yeah. Carter wrote the teleplay, but the story was concocted by Carter and Duchovny. So clearly he was trying, he was pushing for something like meaningful for his character. He wanted something meaty and meaningful. And, and this speaks to sort of what I was saying earlier. It, it would seem like it seems too soon, right, for them to be going here, like only halfway through the second season. Um, mm-hmm. But in my opinion, it is better than to continuously keep stringing the mystery along. 
You know, it's like the, the way other shows might have done. Like, you know, in a newer series, uh, Samantha might have shown up, like, for the season four cliffhanger or something like that. That's the impression yeah. that I get. It's not... But here they just say, okay, fuck it, let's just make her show up now. And I don't, like, I, I wonder... Because I don't think ratings were flagging or anything. I'm, no, I'm pretty sure they were not. doing okay. If anything, they were rising. So Yeah, they should have been at this point. Yeah, if anything, they were, like, things things were on the up. Like, there wasn't, like, people were losing interest in the show or anything like that. So I just wonder, I mean, again, I think it's good because at some point you do have to address this. It's a it's an issue. But I do wonder why they didn't keep waiting a little bit longer or why they didn't save that for, like, a cliffhanger, why they just go ahead and throw it. Here we are, you know, we're about halfway through this, a little more than halfway through the season, and we're going to just go ahead with this thing, which is just a cool story to sort of put out there. Um, because the company, it's not that the company wanted to, like, he came up with the story because he liked the idea of, of Mulder chasing after an alien bounty hunter. That was what the company came, like, came up with. So I guess maybe he had seen I Come in Peace and was just like... Maybe. We, we could do an episode like this on the X-Files. Wouldn't that be fun? I just could get to run around with a gun and like, and so he, he probably wanted to like tap into the action hero in him to some degree, uh, even though he, you know, that, that more on that in a minute, but, uh, but, <laughs> you know, but, but that was his thing. And then I think it was Chris Carter who then said, yeah, or either him or, or uh, the guy who wrote the second part, which is uh, Frank Spotnitz. Mm-hmm. Who this is the first uh, script he wrote for X Files, and I believe that he later he does go on to become a more a major creative force in the show, right? I mean, yes. Frank's about like yes. he write he's he ends up writing tons of scripts. And I think he's even one of the producers. Yeah. And one thing his name jumped out at me because again, I'm not a I was not a literate in what the X Files was, but his name was familiar to me because I had always seen it attached to the X Files. So that's why I had always even assumed that he was like a co-creator or something of the show before I, you know, I I was assumed that. So clearly he must be very, very deeply involved in the show going forward. Yeah, he is. He is. Uh, another major creative force alongside, um, you know, James Wong and Glenn Morgan and Darren Morgan. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, what Vince Gilligan for a while as well. Yeah, I mean, Vince, he's going to show up eventually. But um, but the thing about Frank, Spot, um, Frank Spotnitz is I think because Morgan and Wong left the show with uh, with Dehan de Verletzt with that episode. That was like their last uh, script for a while. They went off to create Space Above and Beyond. Mm-hmm. And I think they eventually come back to it, I guess. Yeah, but, uh, they did. But, but at this point, they had, they, as far as anyone was concerned, they had left the show to go off and create Space Above and Beyond. I'm sure that at the time they assumed it would be a massive, amazing success. And so that would give them, a, that would be the future of their career. And so, you know, I guess Frank Spotnitz was brought in basically to replace them in a, in a way, like he, to sort of serve whatever function, because they were, they were producers on the show as well as writers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, so he clearly came in to replace them. But he come, you know, again, good writer, good ideas. And I believe it was his idea to bring in Samantha. Yeah. Yeah. Memory serves. He brought in Samantha and initially, I guess his pitch or his version was it was the real Samantha. And then Carter turned around and said, no, let's make it a clone and have some fun with this basically. Yeah. Um, well, here's the thing about that. And I, I, I pulled this from Wikipedia cause I think it's worth uh, talking about because yeah, Carter is the one who, who kind of vetoed the idea of making it the real Samantha. This is the, I'm taking this from, from Wikipedia. Carter did not want it to be the real Samantha since that would have been straight science fiction. <laughs> and, and it was, and it was too, and it was, hang on. And it was too ridiculous. To give, <laughs> it was too ridiculous to give too many answers. Right. Um, and then, you know, to, to this, like Spotnitz further explained, Spotnitz further explained that the production crew never saw the X-Files as a science fiction show, but more of a show that incorporated science fiction and that this and, you know, this and Colony were more of a suspense thriller than any other genre. And all of this, all of this uh, kind of makes 
uh, Chris Carter sound like a bit of a pretentious dick. Yeah. Which, all due respect, okay, all due respect, he probably is. But, um, you know, how I, how I was, uh, you know, I compared, I said that it was basically a Christopher Nolan version of I Come mm -hmm. in Peace. Yeah. So I, I see that Chris Carter and Christopher Nolan have a little bit in common in that they're pretentious and they don't want to acknowledge the material that they're doing. It's like they don't want to acknowledge the pulpiness of it. Like they essentially, because come on, of course it's a sci-fi show. And it's like, of course it's ridiculous, but you've got, you know, alien clones running around with green blood that is toxic and like that, that, that kills people. And then you have like this alien bounty hunter who can like shapeshift uh, using, you know, uh, special effects from, from Michael Jackson's black or white video. And, you, you know, you, you have all of this stuff going on and you're worried that, making it Samantha is too ridiculous. Like, I don't, like, I don't even know what that means. Why would it be ridiculous? Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the idea that she was abducted by aliens in the first place is already ridiculous. So yeah. you draw the line at her coming back. Like, I don't, you know, now from a story perspective, it makes more sense to sort of, okay, for it to not be Samantha because it gives right, them an opportunity right. because if they had just killed Samantha off now, by like throwing her off a bridge, It'd be way too early and it'll be a waste. You know, be like, okay, you bring yeah. her back just to kill her. Like, what's the fucking point? Don't do that. You know, then don't bother bringing her back because it's like, I mean, sure, kill her, but you know, kill her in the first episode that you bring her back. I mean, I, you know, so it makes sense that, okay, these are clones and it, it potentially uh, opens the story up to future possibilities because now obviously there are clones of her. And that was the part that confused me a little bit because when, when mother shows up at that place and sees all the clones, the, I guess it's the clinic, another clinic or a place that where they all are, right? Yeah. And they say something to the effect of, this is the original one, the one that we all sprung from or whatever. Uh, at first, I thought that that meant that that was actually Samantha. But they just mean that that's the first clone? Yeah. Like, like yeah. Yeah, they make some comments to the effect that, you know, she is still alive. If you help us get out of this building, or at least help her get out of this building, clone number one... You know, we'll tell you what you want to know. But, of course, by that point, he's so pissed off at all of the lies and deception that he doesn't give a shit anymore. Which, in turn, leads to Brian Thompson just killing the shit out of all of them. Yes, exactly. After, you know, uh, Mulder is unable to stop Brian Thompson. Something I like about this, to, to my point earlier, because I was saying how Mulder clearly wanted to do an episode where he gets to run around chasing after an alien bounty hunter, which, fine, you know, he liked I Come in Peace, and he thought he could be a Dolph Lundgren or something. But but actually, one thing that I appreciate about it, I, I like how neither Mulder nor Scully are, like, traditional action heroes. Yeah. And, you know, Mulder in particular gets cold-cocked, gets the shit kicked out of him oh, multiple yeah. times, multiple times, and this episode alone, okay? he He's chasing after one of the Gregor clones and gets, like, hit by a car he oh god he, he continuously is unable like he tries again and again to you know get the drop on brian thompson and can never do it like he can never pull it off but i think that's refreshing i think that's refreshing and i wonder if that was a problem for some people the fact that he was very incompetent at being an action hero like if there were people who were like can you at least have him get the drop on someone sometime? Can can Mulder ever kick someone's ass? Like, <laughs> was there any any was this a, is this something that ever came up? Not that I'm aware of, but I could see that being a mindset at the time because you know we're we're mid '90s at this point. We're coming off of the '80s action hero boom of Arnold and Stallone and Van Damme and Lundgren, Chuck Norris. All of them, where either everyone is really muscle bound or they have they're skilled at martial arts. You know, mm -hmm. they can kick the shit out of most people that walk into a room. And we haven't yet got at this point to the, you know, early 2000s everyman action phase where, you know, all of a sudden you've got Matt Damon just wailing on people left and right. So Mulder falls in between the two and. I could see how some people might have been put off by that at the time because, and I guess your closest analog, 
outside of the TV realm might be Bruce Willis. But even then, you know, John McClane gets beat up, but he tends to always win anyway. Sure. Whereas Mulder all too often ends up on con- unconscious on a floor somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, unconscious. Yeah, I, I can see that being a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Near death uh, multiple times. You go, he's, he's an FBI profiler. We know through previous episodes, because we know that he's been on cases, he's gone after dangerous people. Uh, we saw in the, in the classic episode, uh, Young at Heart, I believe is what it was called. Uh, we saw how he was involved in a case where, you know, he was, he almost got the drop on a, on, on a criminal that he should have shot. But my point is, I assume he has some training, mm-hmm. but I mean, I guess just not very good training, like not enough where he can overpower Brian Thompson. But, you know, you, you figure he's probably pretty good with a gun. You can probably get a good shot in, you know, yeah, he's uh, probably a good shot. He seems like the kind of person that would keep up his target practicing. I mean, we never yeah. really see him doing that, but he's enough of a loner and absorbed enough in his job that he seems like the kind of guy that probably goes to the firing range once a week. And Scully is pretty much, I mean, they've, they've, they've admitted as much. She's basically Clarice Stalling. I mean, that like that was yeah. the inspiration. She was inspired by Clarice Stalling. And, and you see that you see that in the way the character is in her style. And you see that in how it is, you know, she is very brave. The, the way that she tries to get the drop on fake Mulder. And that's a very exciting resolution to the cliffhanger when fake Mulder just sort of goes boom and just like slams her against the wall. And, uh, it, you know, her up. yeah, the, the company got to do some cool action as fake Mulder. Yeah. Uh, action that Mulder himself would be unable to do. I, I have to say though, like Scully really should be far more injured after what, Brian Thompson he really wails on her. Yeah, yeah, that's, and that was, was like rough. She gets off with like a scratch on her forehead or something like that, and it's like, uh, and she's still fairly fine. But he like not only that, he he like tosses her through that that like table, like yeah. it's a, gla- a glass coffee table. Um, so you go like that's fucked up. That's like a ouch. Um, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> yeah, that's rough. yeah. That that and Mulder getting hit by the car where he's just sitting in the middle of the street, wheezing, begging her to run after that Gregor. And all I can think of is, you really need to take him to the hospital right now. Like, yeah. this is not good. That's a bad <laughs> hit. It's, it's like he, he, goes, he goes on the car, he slams into the windshield, the windshield shatters, he rolls, it's a hit and, I mean, well, it's not a hit and run, because I think the guy yeah. gets out to see if it's okay. Yeah. But, um, but you know, he, he gets, that's a bad hit, and then, and then you have Scully who gets like slammed against the wall, like slammed through a glass coffee table. And uh, standards and practices apparently insisted on adding a grunt when Scully gets thrown through the uh, table so that viewers wouldn't uh, think she was dead. Which, wow. yeah, which seems to me like, I mean, I think viewers would would assume that if they're going to kill off Scully, we're going to know she's dead. So like, so, so if she gets thrown through a glass coffee table, we figure she'll probably survive. But what, what, survi- what surprised me was just that, like she survives a very bad attack. Uh, you know, she gets away with just a scratch on her forehead or something and she's like, fine. And she would have like a concussion easily. Or no. like, it's like the, she would need very, very serious medical attention after what happens to her. Just as Mulder would also like, he's. Uh, I'm surprised he didn't break his knees or something like, like slamming down onto the, onto the pavement after getting hit by that car. But, uh, but no. But again, go, going to the whole thing about them being action heroes, I like that they're not traditional action heroes. I like that they are, you know, they are investigators. They are not. They're people of of thought, not people of action. Yeah. And they, you know, they go into action when it's necessary and they do it within their within their skill set which clearly is not hand to hand combat and so you know turns more into a kind of a battle of wits and things of that nature and i i enjoy that i enjoy that but i i can see how maybe people at the time might have complained fans and the suits on the network who were like come on could, can't he be a cooler kind of action hero like you brought up bruce willis <laughs> You brought up Bruce Willis, and yeah, he's like closer to that. He's closer to like an everyman kind of action hero. 
uh, Bruce Willis, or maybe like one of the characters that Harrison Ford might have played. Yeah. You know, not not Indiana Jones, but like you know Jack Ryan. Um, you know, that's sort of the I think the Mulder analog, and so they were kind of hoping that it would be that closer to that, maybe I, I would imagine, but. You know, Harrison Ford is Harrison Ford, and he does what he does. But uh, but I like that Mulder is not Harrison Ford. I like that Mulder is somebody that he's not necessarily going to be the guy that beats the shit out of the bad guy or whatever else. And I like that Duchovny as an actor um, is not vain about that. Because, you know, a lot of movie stars, they have a vanity to them. You oh, know, yeah. They, they want to... Like, I remember seeing a... A behind-the-scenes uh, thing on 24, right? And it's it's they're shooting the like one of the last episodes. I think it's of the second season of 24. And in the second season of 24, uh, you know, the, towards the end, the the villain played by Tobin Bell has got the drop on on Jack Bauer, you know, and he's like he's got the gun, he's ready to like take him out, and then like a I think a helicopter or something comes up and blows him away, like at the last minute and saves. Jack Bauer's life. And in the behind the scenes, uh, you you, you kind of see John Kassar, the, the director of the episode, sort of uh, off to one side, discussing the scene with Kiefer Sutherland. And he's basically discussing um, how the, you know, the suits or whoever's like, they they want you to kill the bad guy. Right? Like they're, they're and, yeah. and, he's, and he says, yeah, yeah, that kind of bothers me. Like, I, I kind of want to also. And, <laughs> and, so, and so they basically have to convince um, Sutherland to accept that, no, man, you know, it, it's going to be more suspenseful, more exciting if, like, he's got the drop on you and, and you get saved in the nick of time. And so there you have a situation of, of a star, you know, of a TV star at this point, like, being an action hero and sort of wanting to be the action hero, wanting to be the guy that blows the bad guy away or whatever else. And, and you know, I guess in the case of 24... That's compensated because, okay, you didn't get the drop on this bad guy, but don't worry, we'll have plenty of seasons where you'll get to torture bad guys and yeah. kill plenty of bad guys, like, many times. So you'll, don't worry about that. We got you covered, Kiefer. Um, yeah, but in the case of, uh, of the company, he's got no vanity about it. He's like, yeah, sure, I'll be the guy who's like, I'm chasing after and I get run over by a car or, you know, I, I'm, tr I'm trying to get out of the place. Brian Thompson shows up and mops the floor with me and... Later on, when like when I've got the gun on him at the at the submarine, and I've I've got him handcuffed, and I you know I'm, I've got I've got him, you know like he's gonna cold cock me, and it's just like <laughs> that's just, like that's how it's gonna be, and so uh, I I like that he accepts that because it, it it's it's unusual, and it's kind of fun, and I just I enjoy that. Yeah, two things on the action front. In terms of Scully, I like, and I guess it feeds also into the Dwayne Barry and the Donnie Faster thing of her, I, I don't want to say getting over her trauma, but being able to move past it. Because once the trade is made on the bridge and she's walking towards Mulder, she's not scared, she's not worked up, she, look, she just looks exhausted and pissed off. And she kind of just gives him a look, right? All right, you've got this. I'm going to go rest in the car. Just, I just yeah. need to, like, sit for a moment. And then on the flip side, you have our alien bounty hunter who really harbors no actual ill will towards Mulder. He's literally working like a professional hitman. He's only going to kill who he has to kill. He's there yeah. to do a job and leave. So he's he's not mad at him. He's just frustrated. Yeah, And he even tells him, he says, if I wanted you dead, you know, I could have done it a hundred times over already. And I love how he just takes him to the top of the submarine, tosses yeah. him over the edge, and uses the hatch to break the uh, handcuffs. And he's like, yeah. all right, I'm gone. You know, <laughs> you, just, you just go deal with your bullshit outside. It's time for right, me to yeah. go home. Yeah, it's like, you're on your own, pal. Like, I'm not going to kill you. I don't give a shit. I, don't, like, I really don't give a shit. And it's like, I, I already did what I came here to do, and I got to go, so... Good luck, by the way, like out there on the ice. Uh, yeah. like, I don't know how you like, like it's sort of like, I'm not going to kill you, but I'm not going to save you. Yeah, that, that's a good, that's a good detail. Going back to a little bit what you said about Scully, there's, in this episode, we also see, once again, it's a deepening of their relationship. Like, once again, you really see her concern for him. You see how 
much she cares for him. But again, as a friend, yeah. you know, as a friend. However, I do think that maybe they're slowly starting to plant the seeds. Not, it's nothing specific. It's very subtle um, because they, you know, they're not going there quite yet. Yeah. But it's in the way that um, it's in the way that Gillian Anderson plays it. She's bringing more sort of warmth to her interactions with Mulder. Again, I, I, it's still platonic, but she really cares for him. Yeah. You know, like she's really like, and she's sitting at his bedside. She's there. You know, she she takes his hand. She, you know, it, it's it. There's a very sort of she's the warmth. You know that that she expresses towards him is becoming bigger here. Yeah, the, you can. They're they're just gradually cranking up how close they are. Um, you know, it, and it's little things like well, and and big things too, like the fact that she has a key to his apartment. Like they make it yeah. blatant this time. She doesn't she doesn't have to pick the lock to get in. Like she he at some point he has specifically made a key for her. And then the other thing that comes to mind is the fact that, you know, she she gets mad at him. She says, you know, why didn't you tell me that was your sister? And his response is, because then you wouldn't have let me do the trade. She would have just let she would have just let herself die. That would have been it. Yes. In fact, she would have insisted she would she would have she probably would have not only would she not have um, gone with the trade uh, because, you know, again, independent of whatever she might have said he still would have tried to make the trade mm-hmm. that that's the kind of guy Mulder is right he would have gone for it anyway but she would have probably sabotaged it somehow she probably would have um, made the alien bounty hunter killer or something you know just uh, to protect that from Mulder so because if she if for her, if she understood just how important this was to him at the same time, though, there's a part of Mulder, I think, that is not 100% uh, sure mm-hmm. about what's going on. You know, like, he doesn't know. It. Like, it, it's, it's such a strange thing to be happening. I mean, his sister shows up out of nowhere. And, yeah, okay, clearly it's his sister. But you never see that Mulder completely accepts the idea. Yeah, he doesn't. He's very skeptical. Yeah, I mean, of course, it would suck if it is her and he lost her again. And when he's telling his father this, uh, he's devastated. You know, he's he's crying because obviously if it was his sister and he lost her, well, that that's something that he could never... Once again, he has to, you know, he has to be guilty about that and not forgive himself. And so, but by the end of it, of course, um, that's restored. The, like his, his faith that uh, his sister's still out there and he can continue his search, like that's been restored. So that's... That's sort of what the, what his arc is. It's very interesting. I like that. So yeah, this is a a tremendously exciting episode. I, I would probably say that it's the most entertaining mythology episode to date. I would agree. Yeah, I'm like I really had a lot of fun. Like I really like I I had a lot of fun watching this episode. It's you know I made the comparison Chris Carter to Christopher Nolan, and uh, I'll make it again. That's the thing. It's very pulpy. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. it's it's really pulpy. I mean, you've got alien bounty hunters, you've got clones, you've got all this like sci-fi nonsense going around. And yes, it's there's a coat of sophistication over everything, but it's extremely pulpy and fun. You know, again, like Christopher Nolan does the same thing. You know, he he makes these movies that are very very pulpy, very very pulpy entertainments. Yep. And he sort of dresses them up with this coat of, of sophistication. Uh, but whether you're talking about Inception or even Tenet, or like, what, like this is pulp nonsense. Like, I love their work, and I understand why they're pretentious dicks. But it's, <laughs> it's kind of annoying that they're pretentious dicks. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, funny yeah. to me. I go, like, you don't need to be pretentious about this. Like, just admit that you're doing pulp. Admit that you're doing entertainment, just like fun pulp. And don't like don't. Uh, it's almost like you're embarrassed by the trappings, but you were inspired by like Kolchak the Night Stalker, and you were inspired yeah. by pulp stuff. So it's no different from 
Spielberg and Lucas being inspired by, you know, sci-fi comic books and whatever to make their own big budget sort of B-movies, you're doing the same thing. You're just doing it on a, you know, maybe the tone is a bit different or whatever, but you're doing the same thing. So don't be embarrassed by it. Embrace it. And yeah, I agree. You know, it's, it's I, I just, I, I look at it that way. I sort of, to that end, I, like, I like the way uh, Ridley Scott does it. Because he, he's kind of in a similar uh, boat, too. Ridley Scott also makes these big movies, which are ultimately, most of them, just pulp. And oh, yeah. he, he puts a very kind of elegant sheen on them. He makes them, they look terrific. Uh, there's a pretense of sophistication. But in the end, this is pulp. You look at, you know, uh, Prometheus, uh, just a big, glossy monster movie, really. And 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 so, yeah. but the difference is Ridley Scott doesn't seem to be embarrassed, but he seems to realize that that's what he's doing. He seems to understand that Gladiator is an action picture. It's an action-adventure movie. You know, yeah, it won all these awards, whatever, it's all prestigious, but yeah, he was just making an action-adventure an action movie and whatever else. So... That's what I mean. Like he seems to embrace it. He doesn't seem to be ashamed of what he's doing, or like embarrassed by it in any way. And I think that that's interesting. Yeah. It and it's funny on both fronts because, you know, Nolan has that public attitude about it, and you know he'll he'll and he'll talk about the fact that you know Blade Runner really inspired a lot of the look of Batman Begins and how he did stuff, and then there's this layer of art house pretension around everything, but. But he still put Rutger Hauer in the movie, and here the casting didn't quite work because of scheduling, but Chris Carter originally wanted Darren McGavin to play Mulder's father. So you literally would have had Kolchak birthing Fox Mulder. Exactly, exactly. That, and that's and so that's the way I see it. You know, it, like, it's, you know, Spielberg understands that. He, he never walked away from it. We, we know that. He knows he's just making... Uh, fun B-movies uh, just that he enjoyed when he was a kid and the, for the kid inside him. And so for uh, Last Crusade, he cast James Bond as Indy's father because that's what that was. And he completely, like, that's what it was. And in interviews, that's how he, that's how he says it. He's like, of course it had to be James Bond. Of course he had to be uh, Indy's father because, you know, that he is Indy's father, you know, technically. So, uh, so that's the thing. I mean, I, I think, again, not knocking them. I get it. They're pretentious dorks, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's funny just to me. Funny. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it makes it funny. So, so like my final word here though, is I'll say, like I said, I really enjoyed this episode and I'm really starting to think at least for now that I'm falling on the camp of mythology. Like if, if you were to ask me, so what, what camp are you a mythology guy? Are you a monster of the week guy? And I'm starting to think that I'm definitely a mythology guy because I like I'm I enjoy this. I like I really enjoy this conspiracy nonsense. It's nonsense, but I really enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. And yeah. I like the world building that they're doing. And yeah. my big thing is that like I remember watching the movie, the first movie when it came out, and that movie was incomprehensible to me. I didn't I, I I only saw it once and I I hated it it was an incomprehensible mishmash but now I'm looking forward to eventually watching the movie because I know that after going through the show I'll have a totally different experience like I'll, I'll be like oh now I get it now I understand what this is and I, I know what's going on and so like I'm looking forward to that because I really enjoy it now here's the caveat there because I don't like I'm going through it Okay, mm -hmm. and uh, as I can understand that most of the fans who, you know, uh, shit on the mythology uh, tend to be doing it in retrospect. Yeah. So like a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with with Clay. We were talking about uh, well, when we talked about, I think it was either for the host or D Handy Verlets. But the thing is that when we at one point we talked about like his his thing because he seems to prefer the Monster of the Week episodes too, because what he said about the mythology episodes is that they're great at the setup, not so great at the payoff. That's his opinion. It remains to be seen because right now, so far, it has been all set up. I guess once these things start to get paid off, which they have to eventually, maybe I'll start to see some cracks there. I don't know yet, but so far, I'm enjoying the shit out of it. Yeah, I kind of look at it like a Stephen King thing. You know, sometimes those endings just 
either completely fall flat or they just yeah. kind of uh, kind of fade away from the greatness of you know X one and two. But as long as I had a good enough journey along the way, I tend not to be so harsh on it. And I feel the same way about the X Files. You know, eventually the comp- the mythology is going to get too complicated. There's going to be a lot of disappointment in how certain arcs are wrapped up. But if I in you know if I enjoy eighty percent of it and then it wobbles a bit on the last twenty, I'm still good. Like I, that's that's still a B grade. <laughs> no, it's 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 not going to make me retroactively hate the rest of it. And they and they do start to complicate it a little more here. You know, we have a double dose mythology episode here that does not involve the cigarette smoking man or his shadowy group. Like we are dealing right. with an entirely different faction and an otherworldly faction that is coming down here saying, you know, you guys have been fucking around with our DNA. You've created this weird, impure line of clones. We're not happy about it. We are terminating your program. Right. <laughs> Literally. Right. Yeah, it's throwing more things into the mix. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, as you said, I, I agree with you there. I think that, and especially when it comes to genre entertainment, I think that it's so much about the journey. And mm-hmm. so that's why we forgive movies even, right? When they have like yeah. third act problems. Tons of our favorite genre movies have third act issues. And we tend to forgive most of them if the journey has been fun, has been good, has been satisfying. If the destination is a bit shaky, you're sort of like, okay, but you know, I did have fun. I did have fun getting here. So I, you know, I'll accept that. How did I get here? A naval reconnaissance squad found you. They choppered you to Eisenhower Field. Thanks for ditching me. I couldn't let you risk your life on this. Did you find what you were looking for? No. No. I, I found something I thought I'd lost. Faith to keep looking. And that is that. I hope you enjoyed our discussion. And if you did enjoy it, there are many ways you can support the podcast, which is available on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other platforms. You can subscribe, you can rate and or review it, depending on what platform you're enjoying it on, and of course, you can share and spread the word on social media. Please do any or all of these things. Every little bit helps. Look for the Eric's Antoine Network on Facebook or on YouTube. You can also follow me on Twitter at ericsantoine.net and check out my film reviews on Letterboxd. You should also check out Daniel Baldwin's website, theschlocketeer.com, and follow him on Twitter at Daniel W. Baldwin. At this point, for the next couple of weeks, Daniel will be turning over his chair to a series of guests before returning to help me wrap up the season. First up is Jared Kilborn. He'll be sitting down with me to talk about the episode Fearful Symmetry which has something to do with escaped zoo animals and Lance Guest. So please do stay tuned for that episode, and please remember that the truth is out there. See you next time.